listening to the Go and Tell Gals podcast, and I'm your host, Jess Conklin. In most of our episodes, we'll have a guest, a woman who is running on mission right where she's at. We pray this podcast leaves you encouraged and spurred on to go and tell the good news. Hey friends, this is Jess Connolly, and I am so excited to be joining you for this episode of the Go and Tell Gals podcast. Here's what's up. We have begun coaching you through my new book that comes out in September called You Are the Girl for the Job. You Are the Girl for the Job is comprised of six steps to help women move from feeling inadequate, insecure, stuck to feeling empowered and excited and helping them understand that it's God's capacity within them that does the heavy lifting for what he's called us to. And so these are the same six steps I've used to coach women for years. They're just written in very long form in the book, and I'm so excited to share them with you. We've been doing a little bit of a preview on the podcast. So last month, we talked about the first step, which is quitting. If you have not yet listened to that episode, I want to encourage you to go back a few episodes, listen to the episode entitled Quit, and then come and listen to this week's episode. But if you're ready, if you've already listened to the quit episode and you're excited to move forward, I'm excited to move forward with you. And I have to tell you that today we're asking a question that I truly believe will change the trajectory of many of our lives, our ministries, our communities, our world, and eternity. I believe that asking this question and answering it with humility and with honesty is life-changing. And I can't wait to ask it of you and of me. So since you already joined us for the first step, which is quit, you know that we feel some excitement and some freedom having had quit the unhealthy motivations that are holding us back. We've quit this expectation that we have to do it all ourselves. We've remembered that it's God's power, God's capacity, plus our obedience that equals abundance. And this week, we're going to move into step two, which is really asking the question, who are your people? Now, the thing is, a lot of people in our generation are already asking this question. They are already waking up every day and saying, who are my people? How will I find my squad? But I want to look at this question from a potentially different perspective than you may have ever heard talked about. I really want to flip the script. And I want to say that it's only in the last few decades that we've seen women in Christian culture, but also in culture abroad, get really obsessed with the idea of a set group of friends or a set squad of women that they run with, that they do life with, that they can call on. Now, community is as old as time, but I think we've seen something arise even just in the last few years that puts out this idea for so many women that they need to have a set group of people that they belong to. And I think that this desire to belong is beautiful and God-given. But I also think that there's something potentially really damaging and harmful if we subscribe to this idea 
that there's just a handful of people that we're supposed to spend most of our energy and our time and our attention on. Here's who I want to start looking at first. I want to look at the author, the perfecter, the one who did it right when he was on earth, and that is Jesus. And I want to say, we talk about Jesus and we talk about his disciples, and maybe even we use Jesus and his disciples as an example of the kind of community that we want to have. But we have to really, truly look at Jesus and his ambitions and his goals in being in and amongst community while he was on earth and ask this serious question. Did Jesus go and choose the shiniest, tidiest people who made him feel the best about himself? No. He had a ragtag group of disciples who often messed up and who loved and who at the most vulnerable moment of his life abandoned him. He did not pick a ride or die tribe of people who would always have his back and who always made him look good. Instead, they often made really silly mistakes and said really painful things to him. I think Jesus did pick the disciples and the friends that he shared his life with intentionally. But I just wonder if he wasn't asking different questions rather than who's going to make me feel the best, who's going to help me have my tidiest life, who's going to take the best pictures with me, who's going to go on the best adventures with me. It seems like maybe he was asking, who is going to help me fulfill God's purpose in my life, in my time here on earth as a human? Who's going to help me give God the most glory? And these are some of the questions I want us to pause and really ask ourselves as well. I think there's a tendency, if we're not careful, for sure I feel this tendency to choose people who make me feel good, look good, feel happy, I could choose people who make me not think about hard things, who don't challenge me and that I never have to challenge. But those people may not help me agree to look more like Jesus every day. And those people may not spur me on to give God glory with all that I've got for every day that I'm here. I want to read you a few quotes from You Are the Girl for the Job as it pertains to figuring out who our people are. Scripture doesn't necessarily preach an ideology of finding your tribe for the sake of your comfort. Instead, when it comes to friendships, relationships, and groups of community in the Word of God, we hear a call to give ourselves away. We hear a call to grace, which means that we have full sight of one another's sins, and yet we are still pointing to truth. The Bible paints a picture of messy, beautiful relationships that are based not on how we make each other feel, but instead focused on how the world is impacted when we come together. So I think we encounter at least two responses when we ask the question, who are your people? Number one, for some of us, we immediately feel defeated and discouraged because we've never had that. We've never had a squad of women who have our backs. We've never had a group of best friends, or maybe we've had them, but we've always felt a little bit on the outside. And I just want to say, I feel you. I resonate with that. I resonate with that. For different periods of my life, I have so wanted to belong to a group of people, and I've experienced rejection at the hands of other women. 
and I'm broken and convicted to say there have also been times in my life where I have probably made other women feel rejected, and that breaks my heart. But I think also some of us, another response that a lot of us might feel is that we might think, I don't know, I've got my girls, I've got my people, I've got my friend group. And in that response, we have to ask some honest questions. Do other people feel loved by God and loved by you? If your group of people is very close, do you feel like your squad of women or friends are spurring you on to be who God made you to be? And if so, then amazing. But a lot of us don't have very uncomplicated answers to those questions. And so for that, I want to give us a new perspective to look at who our people might be. Here's one other quote I want to read to you from You Are the Girl for the Job. I'm offering a new way to view our people. I pray it will be equally useful to those of you who have a million best friends and to those of you who feel very alone. If our job is to use what we've got for the good of others and the glory of God, we need core people in our lives we can walk with and be encouraged by. But let's also widen the circle and practice being present to the people around us. The people God may be giving us opportunities to bless, encourage, enrich, and serve. So here's question 1A as it pertains to who are our people. Number one, who is already listening to you? We know the word of God says that we have to be faithful with little to be entrusted with more. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, I want you to fight any defeat or discouragement that comes up if you think that there are not already people watching you, paying attention to you, listening to you, and waiting for you to show them love and affection. If you're a mom, this is your kids. If you're a roommate, this is the people who live in your building. If you have a job, this is the people who work for you. If you buy coffee, this is your barista. There are people you are currently encountering every single day, whether they make you feel good, whether you particularly enjoy them, whether they seem to like you at all, they are paying attention to you. They are listening. And that means that you have been placed in their lives on purpose to use what you've got for their good and God's glory. This means that you have a captive audience to speak life and hope and purpose and peace to. This means that you get to serve. You get to be the actual hands and feet of Jesus to people. So many of us are sitting at home waiting and praying for ministry and God has hand delivered us people to love and to serve and to minister to. You are the girl for the job and you've been placed where you're at on purpose. And we have to believe that his capacity plus your obedience equals abundance. That Christ in you will be enough for you to love and serve and see and encourage the people he's placed around you. Number two, I want to ask you a pretty interesting question. What or who makes you angry? I find so many of us are waiting to feel really flowery and fluffy feelings towards people before we minister to them. But so often we are working with feelings of righteous frustration or anger because we are meant to minister to the people who are doing the things that make us angry. 
Let me give you an example. Well, let me give you two. You have a good example of how to handle this and a bad example of how to handle this. We know the story of Jonah in the Bible. The people of Nineveh made him mad and he was prideful and selfish towards them. And God had sent him to minister to them, to speak truth to them, to speak his truth to them. But instead he just got mad at their sin and he couldn't rejoice in their repentance and their restoration with God. But we also see in scripture so many times Jesus getting angry because of the brokenness that he saw in the humans. We see just before he would go into Jerusalem to spend the last few final days of his life on earth before his crucifixion, we see him angry and also weeping over the city of Jerusalem, frustrated and broken over their sin, but ultimately paying the price for it. Who are you angry at or what are you broken over? And how might God be uniquely equipping you to put down pride and selfishness and unrighteous anger and step in with love and compassion and grace? The book has a ton of other questions to help you figure out who God might be calling you to love and serve, but I just wanted to ask those few to get you started thinking about who your people are. Mostly, I want us to be women who fight defeat and discouragement. If we feel like we don't have the people we hoped we'd have, or if we don't feel like we have the shiniest, tidiest people who make us feel the best about ourselves. The truth is that we aren't here on earth to belong. We are here on earth to experience God and to help other people do the same. We're here for the good of others and the glory of God. And I believe we can enjoy people. We can enjoy community. We can enjoy being known and we can enjoy fellowshipping with others without having our entire life's purpose be centered around being accepted by them. Something powerful happens when we begin to walk into every room knowing we're accepted and loved and called and placed there on purpose by God for his glory and for them. We suddenly don't go to everyone else looking for the things that he's already given us. We begin to love and work and live in relationship working from the approval of God and not for the approval of others. So I just want to ask, do you know who your people are? Do you know who you were uniquely created to serve and minister to? Do you believe that he's placed you where you're at on purpose? I can't wait to talk about this more when you get the book and we can continue to dive into it together this is just a tiny, tiny, tiny preview. I'm so excited for us to continue asking these questions that I believe will change our lives and the face of eternity. I love you women, and I cannot wait to be back with you next week. Music